David A. Price presents... Hello, folks. Welcome to Marvel Noise, episode 426. I'm your host, Steve Raker. Joined this episode by Whirlwind WWX Kevin, while Andrew the L.A. Rabbit is on assignment searching for a route to the Savage Land that doesn't involve crashing an aircraft. I mean, that's good. There's been an awful lot of crashing. Marvel Noise is a semi-monthly podcast proudly sponsored by nobody. Although the lights and the mics would turn off in a New York minute if it wasn't for the work of our Sorcerer Supreme, Derek Coward, for both creating this show and hosting it on his Deliberate Noise Network, along with many other fine, noisy podcasts, including Indie Comic Book Noise, where we let loose and talk about the indie comics we're digging. Even when Andrew's gone. This is true. Nothing can stop the wheels of, uh, well, that's not new. Forever, nothing can stop the wheels. I mean, they, the wheels might turn slowly sometimes, but they're always turning. <laughs> so this episode, while Andrew's not looking, I'm going to selfishly check some material off my list that I've been meaning to get to. But I wasn't sure how to like what my take was going to be. And that's because I still wasn't sure what I thought of it. And then Kevin, you bravely offered to join me in (laughs) a cathartic yet critical look at this series and help formalize our opinions rather than the simple hot take reaction that we've kind of been working off for the last few years. I mean, I enjoy you talk about the fantastic four. But I always ask you and ask other people if I'm a Fantastic Four fan, because sometimes I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, you came in, if, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, into reading the Fantastic Four around like the Walt Simonson run. And... I think th- my, my earliest memory of like Fantastic Four is seeing the, that like new Fantastic Four and thinking that w- that was really cool. That was the Simonson run. Yeah. Yeah. But I really didn't. Like, it's weird because. What was that, like 366 or something where they had the is an Infinity War, I think, crossover. Yeah, by then it's DeFalco Ryan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's I, I come in there just because I'm buying like a lot of Infinity War stuff. And then I get maybe nine out of the next ten issues. But really, 375 is like my last one with Doctor Doom. Because I'll I'll buy like any crossover tie-in, apparently. But if we start (laughs) doing weird stuff like, oh, it's a dirtbag special where we put something in a comic you don't want, then I'm out. (laughs) And I go back to when when the fantastic four was the flagship book of the Marvel universe, along with Spider-Man and it was still the world's greatest comic magazine. 
I think I came in maybe reading around issue 150, but also reading the Marvel's Greatest Comics reprints of the Kirby Sinnott stuff. And the treasuries and all that business. And yeah. so what we're dancing around, what we're going to hit here is Dan Slott's Fantastic Four, which ran 46 issues. 48 the series but the last two were judgment day event tie-ins that were written by somebody else oh and it ran from 2018 to 2022 and it's the series before the current ryan north written one and it's the one tasked with bringing the fantastic four back from the where they were left after the monumentous hickman run and being put put on the shelf they were they were left in a good spot where you could have told a lot of different stories, but I guess people, I, I maybe it's like sort of like the Grant Morrison thing, where like you can drop all these stories for people or stuff, but either editorial or writers are like don't know what to do with that, so they don't really want to do that. And well, then you I get think something different. I think part of it, Kevin, was putting them on the shelf because that was during the whole corporate de-emphasis de-emphasizing of the fantastic four that was like in solidarity with their multimedia negotiations and stuff you know that's always so weird i mean the ff were taken off of all of the marvel even like the marvel like 60th anniversary stuff and like it was really (laughs) weird you can still publish a comic that's the thing it's like it's one out of 90 things on, on the shelf for sure so we're going to try taking a look at and voting on each arc of this series, of which there are 22. And uh, we'll see where our opinions stand when all is said and done. Uh, you know, one opinion I got to get out of the way is uh, either the either when you're doing covers or on interiors, uh, the thing is hard to draw sometimes. Yeah, for sure. On the plus side, too, I got to say, just right up front, the characterization in general of the four, of the family, uh, especially the thing, uh, are is really good throughout. So kind of more judging on the plot and who the antagonist is and uh, the pace of the book, etc. Um, like at one point, the, the thing sees something surprising and he says, Jeez, uh, Lou. Like that's like a perfect thingism, right? Like, uh, and Slot's written the thing before successfully in that short run, six or seven issue series that most of us enjoyed. Yeah, that's why I was probably pretty hopeful for this run because, I mean, I I, I bought every issue of that thing series. That was good stuff. So covers overall, uh, Assad Ribic did twelve of them. Uh, Nick Bradshaw did ten. Mark Brooks did a dozen, and then towards the end, uh, Terry Dodson did three or four, and uh, Carlos Pacheco uh, did two or three as well. But the covers were generally good with the book, although, like you said, some of the, like the one of the thing fighting the Hulk, and and there were a couple of rough, uh, ribic interpretations of the thing. Yeah, it's like sometimes his eyes are popping out, or... I don't know. It's just, 
It's almost like that that thing where it's like you should be able to draw a good Doctor Doom, and like that's kind of a a judging factor there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the thing is just I don't know. Or then sometimes he has those weird wrists, or I don't know. Or or then you, you sometimes you run into the neck problem. Oh, the neck problem. all right well the first arc is in the first three issues written by slot with art by sarah pacelli and reed and sue and the kids are lost in the multiverse you know gone forever this is post secret wars they're exploring the multiverse with the future foundation and the molecule man and ben accepts it johnny doesn't uh, ben kind of moves on. He gets engaged with Alicia. And Johnny's kind of being forced to accept it and move on. But then they see a, a big four symbol over the earth from Reed. Then there's also a backup with uh, Simone Bianchi art. Where Doom awakens to the task of taking back Latveria from occupying oppressors. So he can put himself back in the seat of power. There's also a one-pager by Scotty Young uh, with the Impossible Man kind of being pissed off that the Fantastic Four themselves were not together in this first issue. (laughs) Kind of like some readers. (laughs) The second issue has the Future Foundation shown exploring the multiverse. Franklin and the Molecule Man create universes, and, and then they map them and explore them. Franklin's the powerhouse, Val's the brainstorm, then Entropy, the Griever, appears and is systematically destroying all the universes that they've created. No! She even kills the Molecule Man in her opening salvo. They're really dealing with, like, an uber-powerful cosmic entity here. She defeats them, and she's all boasting about the Fantastic Four's reputation and everything not being what she expected. And Reed says, oh, these are just our kids. This is the Future Foundation. This isn't the Four. And she allows him to signal for the rest of the Fantastic Four to bring them so that she could face the real team. So Reed calls everyone who's ever been associated with her in the Fantastic Four or been a replacement character from Luke Cage to Thundra to... Uh, the Hulk to, you know, the, the new Fantastic Four that you spoke of from the Simonson era, they yeah. all come. Then Reed outsmarts the Griever in the end, which I think is a positive having a um, cerebral solution rather than a brute force one, since you've got brute force taken care of with all of those assembled heroes there. And it turns out the big cast is just there to break the ship and to distract the Griever. Like, the the Fantastic Four themselves really aren't needed. Like, they're not... They don't really do anything other than assemble this crew and and Reed's got the plan here. At the end, the family is reunited and uh, they learn that Ben and Alicia are engaged to be married. Finally. So for an opening arc that had to do a lot, it had to reunite the four, it had to uh, bring Reed and Sue and the kids back from deep space, and um, 
also celebrate the return of the Fantastic Four after being, like we said, in sort of corporate limbo for a few years there because of the movie stuff. And, I, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, I'd have to give this arc a thumbs up because it was... Um, everyone played their role and, and acted in character, and it was kind of good to see everyone, and they didn't stretch it out to six issues. Three was good. <laughs> yeah, like, the Griever is not going on any top lists of villains, but yeah, it's definitely a thumbs up. Nice. Issue number four is a standalone issue that is, has art by Stefano Caselli and Nico Leon, and it's uh, sort of a um, transitional issue to set up the new status quo. You've got Reed working on transporting all of the assembled heroes home from the um, place in deep space that they are. And Alex Power from the Power Pack becomes a professor. He gets a promotion. And the Future Foundation split off from the Fantastic Four to search the multiverse to look for any traces of the Molecule Man after he was blown apart. He moleculed. Spidey almost, but doesn't inform the Fantastic Four of the status of the Baxter building. He kind of sold it in his series. <laughs> of course he did. So on Earth, the Wrecking Crew, I mean, you almost had me at Wrecking Crew, makes a scene and in the middle of town and, and the new social media savvy Fantastics with an X at the end, Kevin. Uh, they confront the wrecking crew, and, and they're now operating out of the Baxter building. So the Fantastic... like echoes of Thunderbolts here. <laughs> for sure. The Fantastic Four return, and they figure out it's all a social media stage hoax to promote this Fantastics team. Not that they actually knew that their manager was up to no good and paying off the wrecking crew to you know, take a fall in front of the Fantastics. But the Fantastics do own the Baxter building, so the FF move in with Ben and Alicia at 4 Yancey Street. So, so they, they couldn't fit on the pier? Yeah. But this served to, again, bring the FF up to speed on what sort of happened on Earth since they've been gone and uh, kind of set up their new status quo. Um, I know if we had a middle thumb vote, this would have been one of those middle ones to me because there's nothing particularly great about it, but it's not a bad issue at all. And the Wrecking Crew are always fun, so I think I got to give it a plus. I got to give it a thumbs up. I think this this is better than the first three. Nice. The next two issues uh, are an arc. Uh, well, it's just issue five of the series, but also there's a wedding special. That precedes it. And the wedding special uh, contains one, two... Oh, well, it's just a two, two stories. Three stories. All right. A 20-page girls' night out story with uh, written by Gail Simone with art by Laura Braga. That's fun. And that's like Alicia's bachelorette party. And there's lots of, like, girlfriend guest stars from different females in the Marvel Universe. Then there's a three-page strip by Fred Hembeck, The Puppet Master's Lament, 
Ooh, always, Hembeck. Always fun. And what I thought was the best of the three, an eight-page story by Slot and Mark Buckingham and Mark Farmer, where the Thing visits the puppet master in prison and asks for, and gets, his blessing to marry Alicia. Or does he? There's a little twist there where Alicia might be pulling some strings, pun intended. <laughs> nice one. Then issue five is the 650th legacy issue of the Fantastic Four, and that's the wedding issue. And this has three stories also. It really is a companion to this wedding special. The first story has art by Mike Allred called Change Partners, 18 pages where Sue helps Ben learn to dance for the wedding. And then she's like reminiscing about her relationship with Ben over the years and her role in his and Alicia's relationship getting, you know, taking off in the first place and how she did some invisible stuff behind the scenes. And um, there was one moment where she, where she thinks she's being clever and hiding and because uh, Ben doesn't know she's there and Alicia turns to where she is and says, oh, Sue, are you going to be staying for tea? And Sue was invisible, but Alicia didn't know that because Alicia was picking up on her smell or whatever else that a blind woman would pick up on. Um, so I, there was some good character moments there. Then you we get see the solicit for this one. It says no bait, no switch, not a dream, not a hoax. And we swear not a single scroll around. <laughs> Yay, finally. Alicia gets the real Alicia gets married. And then there's a guy's night out tale that's 18 pages to um, balance the girls' night out. And this has art by Adam Hughes. And it's the Things Bachelor Party. Thrown by Johnny. Enough said. And then the last story is The Wedding Itself with art by Aaron Cooter, 24 pages, where Ben and Alicia's wedding is almost interrupted by Dr. Doom, but Reed's clever wedding present is the ability to stop time for four minutes so that they can just have their ceremony and get married and not have to worry about rushing off and saving the world until they're done. Then it's off the doomstep. <laughs> of course. So, uh, there were parts of this arc that I really liked. Um, it reminded me of the tone of the um, the last superhero wedding that I really enjoyed, which focused more on before the wedding than the actual wedding, and that was Peter David's uh, having Rick Jones and Marlowe get married in The Incredible Hulk, and The Bachelor oh, yeah. Party was a really fun issue with a lot of opportunities for character moments, um, and that was taken advantage of here in both issues, I think. So I got to give this one a thumbs up. Yeah, th same thing here, thumbs up. Wow. I know. Well, how about that? <laughs> now we have a four-issue arc where, uh, with Aaron Cooter art, at first at least, then Stefano Caselli, Riley Brown, David Marquez, uh, even Paco Medina show up by the last couple of issues. Where Doom is saying that Galactus is attacking Earth in Latveria. But not to worry, because he's got this taken care of, and any interference will be treated as hostile. 
So the Fantastic Four fly off on the Thing's wedding night and interfere, of course. (laughs) Of course. And Doom has this new female public hero, Victorious, and she's imbued with the power cosmic. And Doom has Victorious intercept the Fantastic Four while Doom destroys some key equipment that not only helps consume a planet's energy, but also supposedly reduces Galactus's need to a matter of hunger. And now he's really in need of power cosmic. And Victorious is a source of power cosmic, so Galactus chases after her. And apparently this is all according to Doom's plan. Because Doom lured Galactus to Earth to set up this trap. And Doom explains to Reed how Galactus, while they were gone, became the golden life giver for a while. Remember in, in Ewing's um, Ultimates series? And um, he tells Richards that he's going to transform Galactus back into that good golden Galactus. But after the Fantastic Four help, he double-crosses them and instead captures Galactus and imprisons him to be Latveria's new power supply. (laughs) Then he turns his cannons on the Fantastic Four and captures them and puts them in four specialized cells that are catered to their power sets, of course. That's that's always fun. But this time, he's got it figured out, right? (laughs) This time it's going to work. Yeah. Doom broadcasts to the world his success in capturing and trapping Galactus and is going to execute the Fantastic Four on camera. But instead, Sue turns his armor invisible so the world sees his you-know-what. His face, Kevin. Oh, boy. I was going to say his face the whole time. Get your head out of the oh gutter. boy. <laughs> so the Fantastic Four escape on camera, revive Galactus... Depower victorious, and Doom's social media likes go way down. You know he's he's uh, he's pretty big locally, but internationally not so much, Kevin. <laughs> so the Fantastic Four escape via a uh, Deus Ex Machina with Val, and at the end of the issue and uh, the arc, we learn that Aunt Petunia is alive. The thing's Aunt Petunia. I mean, she died in Fantastic Four 568 in the Miller-Hitch run. She was needlessly killed by some uh, atrocious antagonist. And not only is she back, but she's old, as we would have always expected her to be. But the only time we've ever seen Aunt Petunia, she wasn't old. It was in FF239 when Byrne did the joke of, yeah, Aunt Petunia that Ben's always talking about, and then she's, like, you know, young and, and uh, vibrant type of... Like what they tried to do with Aunt May by casting Marissa Tomei, you know, <laughs> in the movies. So what the hell's going on there? I mean, she's supposed to be dead, and she's supposed to be young, and neither is the case, and neither will be touched upon and mentioned or explained at all. That's weird. That is weird. So what do you think of this arc, Kevin? Uh, I mean, Doom seems a little off in 
And what I usually like to see with my Doom stories. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, the, the new character with the Victorious, like, that's fine. Like, I don't really have a big problem, like, with that. Like, you can add stuff like that. Like, that's that's neat in itself. Yeah. I'm but, good. yeah, I, I guess I can't really, like, say it's absolutely terrible. So, I, I guess I would have to give it a thumbs up, then. Well, I'm putting it on the bottom end of the cooler meter, which means it's a thumbs down. It doesn't have to be terrible to be a thumbs down, just like it doesn't have to be a perfect book to give it a thumbs up. Um, this one, I agree with you, Doom didn't ring true to me. His his motivations seemed a little bit petty, um, and it took me a while. It took me until some of the later arcs in this run before... I tolerated the victorious character. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I, I would give it more of a middling if we were going to like yeah, do yeah. a middle. And, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Part of the, part of this is too, is expectations where I'm just like, like, Oh yeah, slots warming up and Dr. Doom, he should have this and everything. And then it really, it, it was Galactus's portrayal that bothered me the most. You know, yeah, that's... You know how I am with little... Galactus. Yeah. All right, so you're still giving it a thumbs up? I mean, if I have to give it one or the other, I guess i got to give it a thumbs up. All right. The next uh, two issues are each done in ones. So issue 10, have the Fantastic Four having a talk with Franklin about his behavior lately. He's being teenager-y. He, he ditched Alicia and left her when she kind of needed guidance she's blind and he kind of ran off he ran away he dyed his hair black <laughs> and then also ben throws a block party to introduce the fantastic four to yancey street but it gets interrupted by an invasion of warriors from the nine realms of asgardian lore because this issue is a tie-in to thor's war of the realms event but the issue has an opportunity to be redeemed because the meat of the issue is Val, Franklin, and Moon Girl and her devil dinosaur teaming up to save the day. Who doesn't like that? That part was cool. <laughs> what do you give this issue? I guess I gotta give it a thumbs up then. <laughs> I gave it a thumbs up too. I thought this was a... I thought this was a... a had a lot of good character moments. Especially for a tie-in. It Stayed Fantastic four -y. Issue 11 has art by Paco Medina, Kevin Labranda, Joanna Ramirez, and Paolo Vinanelli. Wowzer. Uh, Brivert's really uh, hunting high and low for talent here. F this issue has Franklin and Val having to take their special vehicle driver's test. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. And they get caught up in the Fantastic Four's attempt to hold off a baddie from the microverse. So do they pass their test or not? That's the big uh, dilemma. I give this one a thumbs down. I mean, maybe on its own as a filler issue, but to have two Franklin Val issues like in a row, by this one I was tired of it. Giving it a minus. Thumbs down. Yeah, I mean, it's fine, but yeah, probably the thumbs down territory. The next two issues are an arc with uh, issue 12 and 13, where the thing um, 
times his honeymoon with Alicia on the day that he turns human each year. Remember that whole bit? He always has some weird bit like that. But the puppet master controls the Hulk to attack him on that on his honeymoon. Then there's a 10-page Future Foundation backup with like Giri Huru type art, but the faces are even more manga-ish than Huru's. Not really to my liking, but it continues in the Future Foundation limited series by Jeremy Whitley and Will Robson. I, I would have had uh, Jeremy Whitley just writing like like three Marvel books a month, and I would have been buying them all. But <laughs> I'm not in control of Marvel, so... <laughs> but I don't know. He he just seem, seemingly like was always knocking things out of the park, and I don't know if he got much of a reward for that. Agreed. The second issue of the arc has the thing hanging in there against the Hulk, and actually beating the Hulk with a finishing blow that shatters the thing's arm. And puts him in the hospital for weeks. That's not a good honeymoon, Kevin. Yeah. But the issue ends with, I thought, a great scene of the Hulk getting his revenge on the incarcerated puppet master. For having taken control of him. And that sounded like breaking bones. And it's an immortal Hulk, which is weird. Because they keep on making a point of that on the cover. I like this arc. It also introduced uh, Sean Izaki to the to Marvel and, and to the series uh, doing the pencils. And uh, I thought it, uh, he learned on the book a little bit, but I think it was a nice um, start. You know, I didn't realize it was them. That's weird. You know, when you have someone pop in for an issue and you're like, oh, that's the that's their early work. I met yeah. him um, just after these issues came out, too, in Baltimore. Uh, he was friendly with Ron Mars, and uh, I was hanging out with him and uh, got to chat with uh, Sean uh, in the hotel a little bit. He's like a good guy. Yeah, I think they uh, replaced uh, Alan on uh, Thunderbolts as well when uh, Zub was doing that book the first time. Right. So what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down on the Thing versus Hulk slot Azaki uh, um, style? I guess thumbs up. <laughs> this one's a little more difficult. <laughs> Alright, the next one's a big one. Six issues. Ooh. It's the point of origin story. <laughs> I re- I just remember hearing that Hey, this could have been an annual, but what if we did it for six issues? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that was a long six issues. Yeah, Paco Medina art and Shonazaki as well, and even Carlos Magno gets in there uh, before all is said and done. We have the Fantastic Four's original rocket getting a display at the Smithsonian. And the origin gets retconned with pre-flight details to try to make it make more sense. Oh boy! Including the mission. I I, I don't know how this makes it make more sense. Mm-hmm. Like this is like when you put stuff on top of other stuff. Yep. And you just make stuff more confusing. Now the the intention wasn't just to beat the Russians to the moon. It, it now the intention was to go to some planet that Reed discovered. 
44 light years away, mind you. <laughs> and little Johnny wants to join them, so he trains and he trains and he trains and he becomes NASA's youngest pilot ever, not just Sue's little brother. Trying to make his presence on the ship make sense, I guess. But I mean, do we have a problem with that? I, I mean, I guess it was weird. Like the, but I mean, it's it's superhero comics. I mean, you're either there, you're not, and it's the sixties, and I'm like, I, I don't know, that just happened. They snuck onto the base, Kevin. They snuck on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, Reed and Johnny rebuild their original rocket with with better shields this time, of course. And Ben doesn't want to go back up into space again. And I thought there was a great panel with Ben, like, yelling at Johnny, like, what are you talking about? And Alicia's next to Ben, rubbing his arm, saying, Ben, stay calm. The sun's getting low. It's getting way low. (laughs) 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 And Ben gives in, finally, when he learns that the Herbie robot was going to be his replacement if he didn't go. Oh, no. (laughs) That's mean. So... uh... In the next issue, the title page blurb is written from the alien planet's perspective. The peaceful people of the planet Spire were just minding their own business when they're attacked by this hostile rocket years ago. But they were spared thanks to this cosmic ray storm. And they've spent all the time since preparing for the Fantastic Four's return. Because they had to return. They have this uh, seven-character super team called the Unparalleled who intercept and defeat the Fantastic Four. And there's this whole prophecy, Kevin. They're the foretold. Get it? Oh, it's, it's sort of like you had that segment, uh, Fantastic Foresight. <laughs> oh, sure. Drag me down. <laughs> when, when Reed first scanned their planet in this retcon, it opened this two-way data path, which the people of Spire took as a threat and genetically altered their people at puberty so that they would have powers to be a defense against the Fantastic Four. The thing gets lost in the underbelly of the city and encounters the genetically altered freaks that were discarded. That, that You know, like the uh, Inhumans always had those ones that, oh, you're not really going to be able to contribute to society like that. You know, Johnny, he runs into the Morlocks. Exactly. Johnny's taken in, of course, by a winged unparalleled girl named Sky. Who then says that they're soulmates forever. Ever ever since Reed's scan, Johnny felt it too. And that's what drove him to learn all of that stuff in the NASA training and push him through all that because he needed to go to space to get to her. Oi. Yeah. Ben leads the Morlocks in a revolt and learns that the Overseer guy weaponized the cosmic ray storm and caused the creation of the Fantastic Four. Kevin, they would have landed safely, no problem, in peace, without powers. This completely undoes Reed's oversight error flaw in the ship, in the shielding that 
is built into the Fantastic Four's origin. If we learn anything, you can go to outer space. Shield's not important. Ben almost kills the Overseer for turning him into a monster and making him think that his best friend was at fault all these years. And then the Overseer's tower collapses and both teams have to work together to minimize the casualties and stuff because they're both sets of heroes. Then Reed almost kills the Overseer for making him think that he made the fateful error in the first place. Then they all work together to replicate Ben's one-day-a-year fix for all of the Morlock misfits. Build a rocket, and then they go home. But they bring along Sky, Johnny's soulmate, because after all, his unsatisfied love for her is the whole reason that he trained to be NASA's youngest <laughs> astronaut and went into space and became one of the Fantastic Four. What am I saying? I, uh, you're, you're, you're saying that she, since she's his soulmate, she's still around to this day. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying thumbs down. It was just a long way of saying thumbs down. Can't do it. Yeah, this is definitely a thumbs down. Can't do it. Issue number 20 is a standalone where Johnny and Sky help Wyatt Wingfoot protect his new Moloid tribesmen from the Mole Man. They want to defect. They want to be Indians. <laughs> I mean, that's weird. <laughs> it is weird. But it was also kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, gosh. This is a tough one for me. I I I guess I I want to think positive, so I'm going to give it a thumbs up because it was just it was a silly palate cleanser done in one. I always like Wyatt Wingfoot and who doesn't like the Moloids? Yeah, I guess I guess you got to go with a thumbs up. They've become something more ever since that fraction, you know, since they became part of the whole Future Foundation, those smart ones and everything, and the Ben and the Jen and all that. I mean, yeah, I always look at the Moloids different now. All right, the next. Let's see, one, two, three, four. It's three issues and a one shot. Three issues and two one-shots, my mistake, are the Empire event crossover issues. It starts with Empire Zero, Fantastic Four. Oh, that's right. Then goes to Fantastic Four 21, 22, 23, and then Empire Fallout, Fantastic Four. And here the Fantastic Four are on their way back from Planet Spire... And they stop to refuel at this, like, spaceport casino truck stop, basically. Was it a co-writer on uh, on, uh, on those one-shots? Um, I don't have it noted here, although it's possible. Okay. I was just wondering if, if uh, how big of an influence uh, Al Ewing might have had on... Gotcha. Some of those. So at this casino spaceport, the Kree Skrull War is reenacted each day by two child combatants, one a Kree and one a Skrull. And, you know, wagering is totally uh, 
encouraged. And the Fantastic Four put a stop to it by winning them in a card game, with this being the profiteer who runs everything. Then the Fantastic Four split with the kids, staying in space to deal with a combined kree scroll invasion armada that's threatening Earth. And they send the four kids back. The Korean scroll kids are fighting amongst each other because that's what they do every day. Val calls in Spidey and Wolverine from the the Simonson New Fantastic Four to kind of mitigate. Wolverine stabs the scroll kid by accident. (laughs) By accident. Good thing they're scrolls. Yeah. He knew that. He could smell it, right? We get the entire Simonson, Arthur Adams, New Fantastic Four assembled to fight the dark. The Dark Harvest. They're the priests of Pama. Pama replaced Hala as the Kree throne world. Hala. Yeah. Then the uh, we got the Kree and Skrull kids uh, being becoming closer together after being in harm's way and uh, from the priests of Pama that, that bonded them. And then in the Fallout issue... Emperor Hulkling absolves the alien kids from their military purpose and gives them to the Thing and Alicia for adoption. There's also this mystery that's lingering regarding ancient weaponry that's older than the elders of the universe Uh. popping up around. Uh. And then Nick Fury, the real Nick Fury, as the unseen, he looks like Marley's ghost, he recognizes them as a threat from the first race, the, these weapons. And then Uatu suddenly emerges from Fury's eye. I mean, Uatu's eye that's in Fury's head. <laughs> so the Watcher's back. All right, it's the Empire uh, crossover tie-in arc. You give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Uh, especially with that one shot, I'm going to have to give it a thumbs up. Yeah, I give it a thumbs up uh, as well. I thought the uh, continued good characterization of everybody kind of moving through um, and, and playing with the tools in the sandbox, moving moving parts around, I thought it was all right enough. Yeah, not not that I thought Empire was like necessarily great, but you know, I guess it's good enough. Issue 24 is a done-in-one where Franklin's late for dinner. He's Because he's been hanging out with his mutant friends on Krakoa. He even has an ex-outfit. But Iceman from the X-Men brings Franklin home via an ice sled. And Johnny has all this animosity for the Iceman because, well, there's this whole retcon story of... Snowman era Iceman, Kevin, <laughs> of the original X Men, taking over Johnny's spot in the FF for a while. And oh, the adventures they had. Yeah, didn't they hint at this like in issue one or something? And I, they said, we'll get to that. How about the panel where they're fighting the monitor from the DCU? What, what's, what was that? <laughs> 
Well, you know, there there was that that a guy from Nova that that was basically the monitor. Oh yeah, and uh, this whole Franklin rebelling thing, Sue turns Franklin's earring invisible. So what are you gonna? I mean, don't even try a tattoo, right? I mean, <laughs> should make you see your bones underneath it. Yeah. So, so this is all picking up on Fallout also from the X-Men Fantastic Four limited series where they were fighting over Franklin's status as a mutant member of Krakoa or, you know, an American. Yeah, to try to separate what happens from that story. That Like, they tell a story and then not that long after, it's, like, invalidated. So I was like, that seemed like a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I give this one a minus. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's fair. Issue 25 starts a run of Mark Brooks on covers, which is nice. And we get a super powerful alien commando, the Comorant, attacking both Latveria and the Baxter building, looking for something. Franklin uses up all his cosmic power in a finishing punch move that doesn't finish the Comorant, but it it does knock him for a loop. Then we get Valeria building a forever gate, which is a portal to anywhere. Uh, the forever gate. There's also an eight-page backup with Paco Medina art that continues from the end of the Empire Fallout Fantastic Four issue, where the Watcher catches up and transform the Unseen back into Nick Fury. But he's now Herald of Uatu Fury. Weird. Yeah. I mean, all this, like, Watcher, Man on the Wall, Nick Fury stuff is just weird to begin with. And some of these things, I don't know if I'm ever really... 100% sold on, but some writers use it better than others. Yep. Um, this issue would have been one of those middle-of-the-road ones for me. It didn't wow me because I didn't understand who the Comorant was yet or anything. Um, but kind of looking back in hindsight, having uh, the knowledge of having read the rest of the series, I guess, I, I guess it's not a bad issue. I'm going to give it a plus, uh, a thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up this one. Issues 26, 27, and 28 are a three-parter where uh, Franklin was such a mutant wannabe, but now his powers are gone and he can't any longer go through the gates of Krakoa. So he's totally bummed because he's lost his whole social scene. You know, his friends. The Fantastic Four used the Forever Gate to bring home the Future Foundation and a caravan of multiversal migrants just continuously are coming out of the gate. And it's like a school of fish in the ocean. Kind of like whenever we'd be like out on floats in the Gulf of Mexico and a whole bunch of fish would go by or jumping out of the water. It's like, uh-oh, I wonder what's chasing them. <laughs> And who they're running from is the Griever, who's back. And she's coming for Franklin and the 616. 
Of course. Oh, and, and Elijah Laserfist is also back, the scroll that Johnny married thinking it was Alicia way back when in, what, Fantastic Four 300. So Reed gives his Stark armor that I didn't even recall that he had to Franklin. <laughs> and then he calls the Silver Surfer for backup. Reed ends up trapping the Griever in the Yancey Street dwelling in, in all the extra pocket dimensions that are inside and then deletes them all along with the Griever and all of the Fantastic Four's equipment and possessions. But it only holds the Griever for a few minutes. With the few Griever, minutes? The Griever wants that forever gate so that she can end all the universes she wants because she'll just be able to go anywhere she wants. The Fantastic Four are captured and held in bubbles where they experience a probable death scenario over and over in their heads. The Surfer arrives with the Cosmic Nullifier for Reed and distracts the Griever while the Torch helps rescue the Fantastic Four. And then Franklin faces the Griever with the Ultimate Nullifier, but Reed steps in and concedes. He gives the Griever access to the gate but it's programmed for the end of all time. Uh. Which is uh, her kind of time. She'll have a lot to grieve about. <laughs> I guess so. Um, this three-issue arc um, felt like it was going to be bigger than it was somehow, but I now that the Griever appeared twice, I kind of like how um, there's a pattern of the type of victory that they have over her where she's like played for a, a little bit of a fool. There's a little bit yeah. of a wah-wah, even though she's a cosmic entity that's like, you know, a, literally a force of nature. I'm, I'm going to give this one a plus, a thumbs up. Yeah, I'll probably have to say the same thing. You don't have to. <laughs> the next one is two issues where Reed is able to restore four Yancey Street and most of their stuff. This is a King and Black tie-in. And Valeria and Bentley from the Future Foundation, the clone of the wizard, put these safeguards on the Forever Gate. Meanwhile, Sue is spying on Johnny and Skye, trying to keep tabs on what's going on with them. And then the sky, not sky, but the sky starts raining symbiotic dragons. Sky gets turned and starts fighting Sue. And then Dragon Man, Bentley, and Valeria have to protect the Forever Gate from nullified sky. While Reed and Sue are fighting off nullified Johnny and Ben. Who just say the meanest, most personal things, too in their symbiotic forms. Man, I do like some dragons. Yeah. Um, I'm just like, you know, again, just call, uh, there's another tie-in. I just feel like we keep getting pulled into these tie-ins. Uh, this one wasn't my, wasn't my favorite. I, given, I mean, like you say, Kevin, given the dragons, there could have, should have been more. To me, I'm yeah. gonna, I'm giving it a thumbs down. It's not that I bad. I feel but... like I 
feel like I'm comparing it against that other. Wasn't that other time? Um, what was it? Fear itself when the thing was like. Oh yeah, evil he, thing. Yeah, he he grabbed the hammer. Yeah, and he said mean things then too. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, I guess it comes down. We get a fill-in issue, not not well. I guess art-wise too. It's R.B. Silva doing the art, though he's been doing quite a few issues here um, after Azaki's run. Um, issue thirty-one is a standalone, I should say, rather than a fill-in, where Franklin is continues this behavior pattern of being, um, how do we say, bold, I guess, and gets sent to super therapy. Reed and Ben uh, take some time while no one's looking to use the Forever Gate and explore another dimension and get stuck and have like a a buddy bonding movie uh, adventure together, um, making their way back home, planes, trains, and automobiles and all that. And Bentley threatens a rival and covers it up, much to the wizard's delight. Hmm. This one gets a thumbs up from me. I like, you know, the the Reed and Ben um, exploring is the heart of what the Fantastic Four are all about. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. In my mind. People make the mistake that, no, it's about family. Like, no, it's about these two guys who were best friends in college and ended up having their lives bound together and being forever explorers and the family they built around them because their friendship and bond has lasted so long. I mean, if you're putting elements of the Fantastic Four together, like family was, would definitely be one of those elements. But like also that important element is something like an Imaginaut or exactly. that type of thing. Which is then made cool different because they're a family. It's the space family Robinson yeah. kind of a thing. But the family isn't the story. That's where things get sidetracked sometimes. All right. Three issues for the next art. Issue 32, 33, and 34. This is the Bride of Doom. Yeah. Another another Doom story. <laughs> Johnny's love life is complex. He's got Sky, who he's not sure he should open up to. He's got Lija, his ex-wife, who's creeping around and impersonating Sky even and messing with him. Ooh. And oops, did he just sleep with Victorious? Dr. Doom's state-sponsored hero that's always like verbally trash-talking Johnny? Johnny, what are you doing? You know, all that trash-talking, that meant she liked him. <laughs> Alicia controls Lija with some Puppet Master clay to butt out. And Doom needs to go on a walkabout and wants to leave Latveria with a queen. And moments after Johnny sleeps with Victorious, Doom asks for her hand in marriage. (laughs) That's weird. There's a backup story with Javier Rodriguez art with Doom challenging Reed to a challenge with the prize being a favor to the other one. And what the favor ends up being, will you be my best man? 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, it's Doom's wedding. Namor's there. T'Challa's there, along with the Fantastic Four. And at the altar, during the vows, Victorious confesses to sleeping with Johnny Storm. Oh, that's drama. <laughs> Namor's reaction is great. Like, I'm not surprised at all. I'm sure he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doom can't cry. Oh, but he's pissed. He's going to kill them all. In the heat of the moment, though, Victorious saves Johnny, protects him. So Doom is done with her. And he punishes Johnny by cosmically amplifying Johnny's powers. Like he can't flame off and he's burning hot. Nova. But Victorious stays with Doom in her service to Latveria out of her sense of duty. But he never wants to see her face again. So she now wears armor. Now, again, for me, this was a there needs to be more to a Doom story kind of thing. Another um, weird Doom story, yeah. But I liked the best man moment. Like, there's always good beats, even in the stories that aren't good. They're like slot manages some good character beats in there. Um, and I liked, I, I thought the ending was good, like how it all was re- resolved with. Um, Doom being uh, Victorious's place status with Doom being taken down a notch and her public face being covered up and the whole thing of Johnny's powers being amped up I thought were interesting but overall I didn't like it at the time and I think I have to stick with it and give it a thumbs down yeah I I feel myself playing that game where I'm like if the characterization is good and then they have some family stuff or the kids or whatever, I'm like, what if I just take that, cut that part of the story out and then I marry it to like another plot? Like, oh, what what did Hickman do? Yeah. So if I take a Hickman plot and put that with the character stuff, and I'm like, everything's going to seem like way better. Like, like, even if you weren't as into like some of the character stuff, now it's married with a superior plot, so I'm like, I don't know, I think it would have worked out pretty well, rather than some of these and, stories we ended up with. And I think one of the things that, I mean, Hickman had great character moments, family moments as well, but they weren't yeah. always really clearly presented, and Slot really clearly presents those moments and, and adds a lot of humor to them. Uh, many times that I think I think uh, you're onto something there. Um, I think that's one of the things that uh, Slot does. Those types of moments should be clearer, um, and and let you just move right through them and uh, spend your cerebral energy on the cosmic stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah. So is that a, th- a thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, thumbs down. All right. Issue 35 is the 60th anniversary issue with John Romita Jr. art. It's the one with all the Kangs. I like Kang. Reed uses his Nathaniel Richards heritage to infiltrate the Kang's citadel that only one with his DNA can. But 
Kevin, I thought that he and Kang weren't from the same Nathaniel Richards, though. I thought that was a whole thing. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, anyway. All right. But it's Kang. Would we have to have a headache just because yeah, it's yeah. Kang? Yeah. <laughs> so the gist of the issue is that future, future Kang attacks the Fantastic Four at various points in time as past Kangs in an effort to not become a Mortis, who no, no one wants to become a Mortis. So, I mean, I thought it was cute how they set up the different chapter breaks with faux covers, and for an anniversary issue, I think that's a clever way to revisit, like, different points in the Fantastic Four's history, like different eras and stuff. Yeah. Well, they have to go visit Ramatut one more time. <laughs> There's also a pretty good backup that retells the origin story of the Fantastic Four with beautiful art by Paul Renaud. So they have the one where they they the, the shields are fine and everything. That that's the origin we're retelling, right? For sure. Uh, and the issue ends with a um realization where Nathan uh, Nathaniel Richards pulls an Obi-Wan on Reed and tells him that he has a, a sister on Earth that he doesn't know about. In issue 36, also a done-in-one with art by Nico Leon, Johnny's powers are out of control. And I picked up on, I thought it was kind of clever, like his relationship with, like the dynamic between him and the thing, where usually it's like that, you know, frat boy um, antagonism stuff yeah. going on between them. It's different now because Johnny's the monster now. And and the thing's the one with the wife and the family and comfortable in his own skin. And Ben kind of recognizes this and is supportive of Johnny uh, rather than giving him a hard time. The effect of Johnny's powers being out of control is also passed along to his soulmate, Sky, who's now been turned into this harpy-like bird creature. And she divorces him and returns to her home planet. <laughs> she she doesn't go to um, um, Red She-Hulk for advice. Yeah, she should. Uh, the Betty, the Betty Harpy. Yes. <laughs> uh, I give this one a thumbs down. Um, and I forgot to ask for your vote on this on the one with all the Kangs, which I give a thumbs up to. Yeah, I guess we'll go with thumbs up. On which? On the on the Kangs. Kangs gets a thumbs up. What is this as you get? Um, I mean, I guess it's fine. Yeah, give it a thumbs up. All right. In issue 37, also a done in one, the intergalactic casino owner type, the profiteer, returns and tries to kidnap the Korean scroll kids while they're out trick-or-treating on Halloween. I mean, I do like the profiteer. And I... I thought there was a, you know, Alicia's been using the clay like a, like an, uh, like a failsafe device, you know? And she almost uses the Puppet Master's clay to control her son, but her, her conscious, her motherly conscious tells her not to. That's not, that's not going to make her parent of the year, so. Yeah. That was a good character moment. This issue is cute. I'll give it a thumbs up. Same. 
The next two issues, 38 and 39, are a two-parter where the She-Hulk defends the Dragon Man and the Fantastic Four in court to maintain custody of Bentley 23. And the challenger is the wizard, who is representing himself. He wants Bentley back. This one ends with a very clever turn of events where the uh, a fellow appears claiming to be the original wizard and tests as the original wizard and makes the wizard think that he's himself a clone and therefore has no right to have control of this other clone. But in the end, it's revealed that Bentley... 23 is the smartest one in the room having made this original wizard um, like just the other day in a vat and being able to cover up the genetic markers to the point that he seemed more authentic than the wizard himself. Does that make sense? (laughs) That's a mouthful. (laughs) But it was good. The Wizard and Bentley uh, played correctly, and the She-Hulk in court, I thought it was a good two issues. I'm giving it a thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> All right. Now it's the big one, Kevin. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The Almost the rest of the series until the CODA issue is related to the Reckoning War, which is Dan Slott's magnum opus here that touches upon all the other series that he's written where he's laid seeds previously and pays them all off here. Finally, the Reckoning War. I do appreciate that they did this in six issues of the regular series plus two one-shots. But nothing else, even though it involves the rest of the New York heroes joining in to battle an invasion, which is just the perfect type of thing to do a whole bunch of spin-off issues. My, my understanding is that the creative um, uh, decision was based on the fact that the um, original Kree scroll War all happened in the Avengers. You didn't have to go to other tie-ins and stuff. It's true, yeah. Yeah, that's, that was kind of... Uh... That was an event. Yeah, and and that's what Slot wanted here. So we do get an, a Reckoning War Alpha issue and a tie-in, the Trial of the Watcher. But otherwise... Yeah, didn't, didn't you cover those? Like, I remember that was that was, that was like crazy stuff. We did touch upon some of this in a one yeah. of our roundtables, um, but uh, it has more context here. But we should get into it so we can get, get through it um, because we do slow. Oh, there's so much packed into here. It's worth going through to some extent. Um, the Procillians from the Tales of Suspense 53 in 1964 are now called The Reckoning. And they share weaponry with the Badoon and others, including the plant light Kotati that were involved in 2020's Empire event. That's where the weapons came from. And the Reckoning blow up the Earth's moon. 
trying to take out the Watcher and his herald, Nick Fury. The heroes on Earth all deal with the literal fallout from the moon's destruction, plus a Badoon invasion. So they're just like this fighting in the streets. And there's also a nod to Slot's She-Hulk series from 2005 with the She-Hulk and the Justices from the Time Variance Authority. Yeah, that was good. Timely appearance. <laughs> the Griever and the Nether Queen tend to a poisoned eternity and tell the Silver Surfer that he's destined to save all. Seems pretty important for the Silver Surfer, but I remind you that Slot wrote that Silver Surfer series with the Mike Allred art. So the Surfer is meant to play a role. Fury reveals himself to the Fantastic Four. Hey, guys! Remember me? And Reed absorbs the power of the Watchers to learn how the Luminous became the Watchers in the first place after giving tech to the Priscillians who became the Warmonger Reckoning using that technology. But absorbing all of that and a plethora of other information just is like a big data dump into Reed. That's also going to kill him in like three days' time. That'll be enough time. The Fantastic Four and Nick Fury return to the Baxter building where a souped-up Reed is like drooling cosmic from the corners of his eyes, but you know everyone's thinking he's acting weird and enlightened, but what really bothers them is when he shaves off his beard. <laughs> Like, whoa, what's going on here, Stretcho? <laughs> That's the thing. There's a, I thought, a great story beat where Reed broadcasts strategies and advantages to all the Earth heroes that are fighting the Badoon in the streets, which is kind of cool. Like, one of them is he tells Cap to give Vance Astro justice from the New Warriors his shield. Because all the Badoons share a deep-rooted psychological fear of the day that Vance Astro would pick up the shield. Someday in that Jim Valentino Guardians of the Galaxy series set in the future and would rise up to defeat the Badoon. So make today that day. And, and he does, which is so cool. That is pretty crazy. And, and Moon Knight needing a pep talk because the moon is destroyed, right? <laughs> that was a good beat, too. So the surfer contacts Reed and explains that crisis-level attacks are happening throughout the known sectors of space, including the planet Spire that Johnny's winged wife Sky is on. They're, they're taking on the Annihilation Wave, in fact. Not the Spire again. So Johnny rushes off to save them, even though Reed forbids it. And Reed's a good planner in this state, and he recommends to Sue that she go invisible so that she can be an ace in the hole down the line. Fury uses the Forever Gate to go somewhere, and later we find that Sue tagged along with him. So the Fantastic Four minus Sue and the Torch, but plus She-Hulk and the Jack of Hearts, use the Forever Gate to intercept the Shi'ar's and Imperial Guard who are under siege at the Makarn Crystal, another nexus of reality, but they've already been defeated. And one of the attackers is some reckoning warrior lady called Rapture that is who the Thing saw killing him in uh, the Griever's death visions. 
So he's like, "Uh uh-oh. The Watcher tries to rally the other Watchers, but gets imprisoned by them. And Ben has to face this Rapture lady and survives, first thanks to Alicia's ring on his finger, and then Reed, who pulls him out of the way, but he is injured and kind of in shock. Uh, there's uh, two of the Reckoning use the crystal. And there's a little bit of a callback, again, to events from the She-Hulk run of slots. And an amped-up Johnny arrives on the planet Spire and just annihilates the Annihilation Wave. Including Annihilus, and then commandeers their fleet. And has Spire's heroes join him to go fight the Reckoning. The Surfer participates in the Herald War versus Asgard, collects Galactus, who gets reanimated, and then merges the Asgardian Destroyer armor with Galactus and leads Galactus away with the ultimate nullifier like a carrot leading a a horse. What the heck? Yeah, that's that's almost, or or maybe stranger than in, in the Annihilation when they had that corpse Galactus. Yes. Thing they were kind of riding around on. Then in the Trial of Watcher one-shot, which has really nice Javier Rodriguez art, it was Slot and Rodriguez wanting to work again and do something. But we get to see Uwadu on trial for all the times he's interfered. Plus he gets called on watching all those what-ifs just for his amusement. <laughs> I mean, he does like to do that. That was that was one of the good moments in uh, Spider Gwen too. Is when you just see that like some watchers like sort of like it's sort of like their Saturday morning cartoons, right? Yeah, they're eating yeah. cereal, tuning in. They're like, "What's going on this time?" It cracks me up. So the watchers' ironic punishment is to over and over watch the one what if that he fears the most. What if he didn't break his oath, and everything Oof. turned out good? Oof. Back on Earth, the Reckoning is attacking the Baxter building, and the kids put up a fight, but they contact Reed and get the order to activate Protocol Zero, a failsafe to help the Forever Gate from falling into the wrong hands. Reed, Ben, She-Hulk, and the Jack of Hearts escape via the Makarn Crystal to the world that the She-Hulk accidentally destroyed in her slot series by basically turning it over to Dark Space and the Reckoning. Reed then tells Ben that Protocol Zero means the kids and Alicia are gone. They were a necessary sacrifice. And oh man, Reed get, or Ben gets so mad, he beats Reed within an inch of his life. But then Reed at the last second reveals that the kids are fine. It was all a ruse just to help get Ben get his mojo back. What? Yeah. Ugh. The She-Hulk and Jack of Hearts encounter one of the Reckoning, the, the leader of the Reckoning, Wrath, who bashes their heads together until they die, presumably. I mean, we see the Reckoning guy after, but not Jen or Jack. Nick Fury gets in place to rescue Uadu from Watcher Prison. 
and Johnny and the Spire heroes and fleet arrive to help the Kree Skrull Empire with their invasion and then recruit them to help, along with the Imperial Guard, the Star Jammers, Beta Ray Bill, and the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they're all off to the final reckoning. Ben and Reed get trapped in the Barrens where the reckoning came from, looking for Jen and Jack. And Doctor Doom steals a weapon and starts doing spells on it at the Nexus in the Florida Everglades. <laughs> in issue 43, the unstoppable alien warrior, the Comorant, from issue 25, is going about the task of collecting and assembling this Alpha Omega armor from various people, ripping limbs off of them to take with the parts of the armor. And apparently the only weapon capable of defeating the Alpha Omega armor is the Tactagon, the thing that Doom is now wielding. So Doom and the Comorant fight, and Doom gets the upper hand by tracking communications to the Comorant from his master, and then teleporting that guy, the helmsman, to Florida and killing him, even as he tries to reveal his hidden identity. Doom doesn't care. But Doom if, is Doom. But if you're interested... Slot did have it figured out, but they didn't have enough pages to let it breathe. It was supposed to be Kristoff. And that's why the Comorant back in issue 25 was attacking Latveria and the Baxter building, because he knows about stuff in both places, because it was Kristoff. But they they had a little um, challenge in the letters pages to guess who Slot meant the Helmsman to be. And in the recent Ryan North series, someone guessed it. Got a no prize and everything. Well, with the Helmsman control helmet, Doom now can issue orders to the Comoran, but instead gives him the helm, both freeing him from captivity and gaining a powerful ally. And now they go off to win the Reckoning War. The Reckoning at the Baxter building managed to power up the Forever Gate after all, and they teleport to the final battle, and Val and Franklin jump in before it closes. Reed and Ben find Jen and Jack in the Barrens, and she's fine, but Jack has a chest wound? And he's siphoning Jen's gamma radiation, and it's the only thing keeping him alive? I didn't get this at all, because when we last saw them, they were having their heads bashed together, and there was nothing they could do about it, and Jen was apologizing that she was going to last longer than Jack's because her skull was bigger, and and the bad guy was just smashing their heads together, but uh, somehow he let them go, and they don't have head wounds, and Jack has a chest wound? I don't know. I didn't get I, that. I guess that's a trade-off you can make. <laughs> Weird. And lastly, a now-revealed Sue stops an assassination attempt on the imprisoned Uatu from another Watcher. Oh, Fu don't tell me it's Aaron. Yeah, right. Fury frees Uatu, who sees now that if he was able to watch the what-if that he was imprisoned to watch to its conclusion, he would have seen that it ended the same way that all the what-ifs end horribly. <laughs> so they altered it to make him look bad and to punish him. In issue 44, the Reckoning begin their final assault on the Watcher's Citadel. They want to reach the apex nexus of reality that's within so that they can go anywhere. 
And Uatu learns that his assassin was at the First War and created and used the ultimate nullifier, which the thing the Surfer's using to lure Destroyer Galactus to the battle. But that's, Kevin, why the Watchers really swore their oath. It was their fault that nine-tenths of the universe was destroyed and laid to waste. The original use of the purpose and use of the ultimate nullifier. And that's how the Watcher would know about it to send Johnny to get it from Galactus's world ship to stop Galactus back in Fantastic Four, forty-eight to fifty, right? Yeah, yeah. No one wants to use that ultimate nullifier. The reckoning from the Baxter Building actually didn't get transported to the Apex Nexus as they thought, thanks to that Protocol Zero. Instead, they were brought to Mind Space, where Franklin is a god. I mean, he's thought up entire universes, so the Reckoning are no match for him there. Reed in the Barrens is able to help them escape by building a forever gate from the old Watcher tech there. And the dying Jack of Hearts powers it up, and then after Reed and Ben go through, pushes the She-Hulk, sacrificing himself to power it up so she can go, and then presumably dies in the Barrens. Dying? But I like this She-Hulk and Jack stuff, knowing how they connected again in that later series. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Like, he's, he's become a big part of that She-Hulk run. So Wrath, the war general leader of the Reckoning, attacks the Watchers, but he's confronted by Doom and the Comoront, who's now wearing the complete Alpha Omega armor. But Wrath is able to disable the armor because they're the ones who created it. Rapture of the Reckoning, the one who's destined to kill the thing and almost did, disables Doom, but when she faces Ben again, suddenly she can't see her swords and drops them, and then once she drops them, she can't find them. Thanks, Sue. (laughs) And Ben wins the rematch. Destroyer Galactus arrives to consume the planet and the Apex Nexus, but that's not the plan anymore, so now Johnny and his gathered fleet, including the Guardians and Nova and Beta Ray Bill and everything, they have to hold Galactus Destroyer at bay. For a little while, at least. Uwadu does a mind meld with the other Watchers and shares all he's seen, including their being at fault and the cover-up and everything, and they're all, like, in shock. In, like, painful shock. Like a seizure, almost. Like a seizure. <laughs> And Wrath charges up his Makarn crystal armor like a suicide bomb. And our heroes try to prevent him from reaching the Nexus. Now now he's just going to blow it up. He mocks Sue when she's the last one standing, but she turns invisible and uses Rapture's invisible war blades that he forgot about because they were invisible. And she uses it against him and starts cutting the armor off of him. Then the torch flies in. Bright as a sun, Kevin, and burns out his eyes. Well, as long as he's not burning down universities. Yeah, because well, you're not supposed to look at the sun directly. And Reed, in this uh, emotional moment, tells Sue that she was right. You know, all those times she invited him to take a break, take a walk, come back to bed, read to the kids, whatever. Looking back, that really was all that mattered, not whatever he was doing. And he grabs the ultimate nullifier, and he uses it against Wrath, and all is nullified. 
But when issue 45 starts, everybody's okay. <laughs> Reed is restored. The Watcher's power in him, it was nullified, Kevin. Nullified? But Wrath's armor is still going to detonate, so the Surfer and the Torch fly it off the planet and toss it into Galactus's mouth, which basically uh, defeats and starts the restoration process of him. It doesn't give Galactus some indigestion. Sure. Just like eating the planet pop-up. <laughs> the Watchers get all evacuated to Ego, the living planet. They're now powerless. And Uatu, left on the planet's surface with the Nexus, Nick Fury, and the Destroyer Galactus's bomb going off and everything, it all mixes up into one big plasma event and now Uatu is the one and only watcher and he's like really powerful he restores Earth's moon he sets up Fury as the new watcher there the man on the wall a shield for us all and that whole bit he opens up and heals the lost nine tenths of the universe and Jack of Hearts is restored as being there, kind of like how Spock's body on the planet was when they uh, genetic, you know, used the gen- Genesis effect or whatever and were able to, like, make the planet, the desolate planet, have plantations on it and stuff again, uh, plants and flora and fauna, and Spock's dead body got um, reanimated in the search for Spock there. Uh, Jack of Hearts gets reanimated here. And the Watcher is able to send everyone home except for Johnny, who returns to Spire to look for uh, a cure for his cosmic ray oversaturation because they weaponized cosmic rays in the past. So with their knowledge plus Reed's knowledge, they ought to be able to come up with something. And the Comorant now helps guard the Makaran crystal so that this never happens again. And at the end... uh, the agents of the TVA are pleased. This is a good good outcome in their mind. I can put, go push some more papers. So that oy, was the judgment. That, that, or not to judge. That's judgment, a lot. It was the uh, reckoning war. That's a lot. It was a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to give a thumbs up and thumbs down to because I have a lot about it that I would like to give thumbs. A lot of moments that I would like to give thumbs downs to. Yeah, but I think there are. I think those are just moments. Whereas more of the overreaching stuff was kind of cool and fun and big, and I like that he was. I mean. He wasn't adding anything new. He was playing with the toys in the sandbox and moving them around. And um, I don't and, know. I, like, I do find it funny that he went all the way back to some old story and pulled something out of there. Yeah, I mean, overall, I guess I got to give it a thumbs up rather than a thumbs down. Yeah. But um, there are moments, and we brought them up as I was going through them, that were like, what? So be it. All right, we've gotten to the last issue here. Uh, Because the series went on to 48, but 47 and 48 were those Judgment Day tie-ins. 
So issue 46 is the last one of the slot run with art by Cafu. And it's a palate cleanser that's supposed to wrap everything up. Reed seeks out and meets his half-sister, the one that was revealed to him by his late father, and invites her to meet the family. So we get to see the FF through her eyes. While visiting, they get word from the planet Spire that they've had a breakthrough, and Johnny's going to try out a um, procedure to reduce the cosmic ray mutation. So they fly off to Spire and brings Reed's sister along. And I thought it was clever how they portrayed her as being fairly cynical about them, their motivations, why they're doing things, what they're even doing. And time after time, she's got it wrong. Like, really, their intentions are good. And they're, they are trying to be benevolent, even though they're human and make mistakes. And she's, like, picking yeah. up on that as, as it goes along. They're good people. Fantastic people, you might say. Fantastic people. Johnny's power levels and his control of them get restored. And Sky also gets to get restored back to her regular female with wings uh, look. And then she can marry her uh, chosen on the planet there. And uh, ben, ben can get restored too if he wants, but you know what? For the first time, he's like, everything is so great in my life right now. I got kids, I got Alicia, I'm the idol of millions, and declines. Oh, and the Psycho Man attacks. But in his defeat, it's revealed that Owen Reese, the Molecule Man, was enslaved by the Psycho Man after Owen escaped the Griever by reducing his consciousness into a single molecule and escaping into the microverse. So now, now he's truly a molecule man, which I thought was a good little the dump bump. <laughs> it's a good bit. Yeah. I, I give the last issue a, a thumbs up. I thought it was a satisfying end to things, and it reminded me of what those last, like, eight issues or so of Hickman's run were after the whole big secret wars had happened. And then there were just these like character stories and side stories and Johnny and Peter being roommates and it not going well. And it was, it was fun to get small after being so big. Yeah. It definitely reminded me of that. You give this one a thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, yeah, we'll go with a thumbs up. All right. Uh, You know, and again, I think the whole series, looking at the whole thing, what Slot was doing wasn't trying to break new ground and go off in new directions or have a new take on the FF or anything. It was more like a love letter to the Fantastic Four playing with a lot of, again, those toys in the sandbox. I mean, we didn't get to see... Oh, we did see Diablo, actually. He testified at at the Wizards' hearing. All right, we didn't get to see the Red Ghost... I was trying to come up with an old villain. But we did get to see a bunch. Um, and he got the whole, they're a family, but that's not what the story is. Uh, right. Yeah, you got to you got to see uh, some Annihilus stuff. Not Blastar, I guess, though. Burstar? What about Burstar? <laughs> All right, Kevin. Looking back at our thumbs, where my thumb's tired. I had to use fingers. 
I came out with 14 thumbs up storylines and eight arcs that were thumbs down. And your totals were 16 thumbs up. Ow. And six down at a 22. <laughs> and granted, we weren't giving ourselves a full range where we could say yeah. that things were mediocre. We had to either give them props or think of them as being um, not worthy. And uh, I guess it's, I guess that's kind of what I was hoping for. Because that wasn't my um, general recollection of the series. I would have thought that I would have been more 50-50. But yeah. I'm, I'm happy to see that I liked more than I didn't of the series. I'm going to probably wear that badge from this point on. Because I, I, I did the homework. I collected the yeah, data. I, I feel like there's not a lot of high highs. And there's some like long stretches of not so good. Agreed. <laughs> But ultimately, I guess it comes out on top. It put it brought the FF back, and it reintroduced their relationship with a lot of the um, toys that are in their sandbox, if I can keep going back to that phrasing. So in that respect, by the time this series was over, the Fantastic Four was back. Gotta give it that. And... Again, it was awfully clever of Ryan North to do the whole one-year thing where uh, they're separated from the kids um, and the family and everything so we can let the Fantastic Four themselves do some exploring and then come back to the status quo and uh, reintroduce these components. By then, yeah, it's, it's, I might even miss them by then, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird that, like, I think the Ryan North run sort of fills the same place in my brain, but not for necessarily the same reasons. I like that they're exploring. Yeah. And they're they're using science. Science! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Alright, anything else on the Fantastic Four, Kevin? That's a lot, so... Um... It was a lot. Thanks for being willing to tolerate this with me. I need I, I needed someone to bounce this off of. I, I, I mean, I feel like you're you're always invested in the Fantastic Four and and always want to you know dig deep into those into those runs. Sort of like I, I always have to bring up Daredevil and say, "Well, what's he up to this time? How are we feeling? How am I feeling? How's it going?" <laughs> It's one of those where I'm blessed and cursed to know the history so well that I know where the parts come from, you know? So uh, a run like this where they start playing around with them, it's a lot of familiar stuff being brought back up and, and tooled around with. So that's good continuity. I always like that. But not when they start messing with it. <laughs> All right. Next episode will be a roundtable episode. We'll oh, if... it's a two-person roundtable? Will it be, or will Andrew come back? <laughs> we don't know. We'll find be out. Be here to find out. That's right. <laughs> All right, until the four or no more, make mine marvel. Later. Oh!